0: Hey everyone, it's Abadessi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Pagey Yu. I was so excited when Ryan took the liberty of introducing us because sustainability and tech for good is such an important space within our community and in the world in general. So I was so happy to have her on the show and find out everything about her company, her mission, but everything that she's learned being a serial entrepreneur. This is an episode you don't want to miss. We talk about the future of direct-to-consumer, consumer packaged goods, and sustainability, how she managed to get through her fundraising journey and convince investors that this was a big bet. And finally, how she's gone about building a team she admits that it doesn't get easier even when you're working on a company for the fifth or sixth time we also talked about the products that she loves Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I was really happy when Ryan told me that you were up for doing Product Hunt Radio because I feel like sustainability is one of the topics that keeps coming up within our makers community on a personal level, on a professional level. Everyone wants to know what they can do to support the environment. Um, So I was very excited to read about Blueland and get you on the show. But for people who are listening and maybe aren't familiar with you and your work, tell us who you are and what you're working on.
1: Yeah, um, and thank you so much. I'm really excited to be on as well. I am the co-founder and CEO of BlueLand, um, and with BlueLand, we are really trying to reimagine um, conventional household cleaning products and personal care products to eliminate the need for single-use plastic packaging. And so, what that means is, um, with our first set of products, which is a set of household cleaning sprays, so for example, a multi-surface cleaner, a bathroom cleaner, and a glass and mirror cleaner. What we've done is we've taken these traditionally liquid products and shrunk them down to tablets um, the size of a nickel. And so, you know, our products are sold as a reusable, refillable system. So you just buy our bottles, your forever bottle once, and you can simply fill it up with water and you drop in one of our tablets, and then you can make a full bottle of solution. And when you run out, you can simply just refill with another tablet instead of going out and buying a whole new bottle, and, you know, all this liquid solution
0: again. Amazing. Yeah, I watched some of the pitch videos that your co-founder did on YouTube, and I thought... You make it look so easy. You make it seem um, so doable. I think Eco Made Easy was even one of the taglines at a Harvard Business School pitch, um, which I thought was awesome. But before we sort of like dive deeper into zero waste culture and I guess like the changing trends within like consumer culture, I wanted to just talk a bit more about you because Blueland is not your first company. Um, you worked on SnapEt before. And so I just wondered how you sort of went through this journey of working on another startup, being in venture, and then ultimately deciding to focus on a more ecological sort of mission?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I've been, I guess I've been a startup founder and sort of in the startup DTC space for about 10 years now. Uh, I started my first business, SnapEt, which was a mobile shopping app back in 2010. And that business was really about helping. That was kind of at the height of like local, mobile, social. I had just moved over to the iPhone for the first time from a BlackBerry and I was just blown away. Exactly. And I was like, oh my God, people are now walking around with these very powerful computing devices. And I realized that while shopping was really easy to do online to find what you're looking for, that it was still really hard in the physical world. So for example, I was out and looking for a red dress for the weekend Undoubtedly, there were probably a ton of options around me and my size at a price point that worked for me, but it was really hard to figure out like what stores near me carried um, what products. And so, yeah, that was the idea for Snapbet. you know, we partnered with a couple hundred brands and retailers um, to get their inventory feeds ingested into the app to make that information available to our consumers. And I scaled that business to a couple million monthly active users Wow. Yeah. So it was it was good, and that was kind of like the heyday of like you know driving app downloads, and you know it, it was all about the apps. Um, and so it was an exciting time to be in that space. And I ended up selling that business about three and a half years into what was one of the world's largest shopping search engines at the time, because um, a lot of these traditional shopping search engines were now seeing that you know their traffic was shifting meaningfully to mobile. So you know that was a good sort of First for into to start for me and a you know, a good sort of first, you know, I'd consider a small win for me as a founder. Nice. Learned a ton in the process, made a ton of mistakes in the process. And yeah, I had a one-year lockup with our parent company, Price Grabber. And, you know, I think as soon as I as I got there, I while well, I really appreciated the experience, I realized that I really want to get back into early stage company building, that I had just learned so much. In my first time around as a founder, I really wanted to do it again, and so an opportunity came up to join my friends who had founded and then sold uh, one of the earliest flash sale sites, Rue La La. An opportunity came up to join them in launching a startup studio. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, and so it was. You know, I feel like startup studios are definitely more prevalent today, but you know, this is back in. It's 2014 now, and it was also very early innings in direct to consumer. And so at that time, you know, there were just a handful, like you know, Warby Parker being one of the early ones. And it was our thesis that we would continue to see categories go direct to consumer. You know, everything from socks to tampons to you know, you name it. And wise prediction. We thought, you know, (laughs) exactly. And we were like, you know, why don't we? You know, set up the studio, you know, raise a small amount of capital, which would enable us to develop a platform through which we could launch, you know, these direct to consumer businesses. Our goal was to launch one per year. And that's what we ended up doing. Uh, we ended up launching one business per year for the next four years, uh, which was crazy. And so I was a founding chief marketing officer for MGemi, which is the first um, company that we launched out of launch that was a direct-to-consumer um, luxury footwear business, um, and then we launched a year later. We launched uh, Rockets of Awesome, which is a kids subscription clothing business, um, and then Full Lane, which is a clean beauty online multi-brand retailer, uh, and then lastly Trade, which is a coffee marketplace. And wow. so, yeah, that was that was a very exciting time. You know, all 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 four businesses are thriving. And, you know, I got to spend time as, you know, working in the businesses as a founding executive and as an operator, as well as spending a good amount of time ideating and coming up with, you know, the next business that that we wanted to launch. And so that was all great um, and a good way to, you know, cut teeth in fast hyper growth environment, you know, launching consumer facing businesses and, you know. After that, I, I became a mom, I became a new mom, I had my son, and then I wasn't sure how I was going to feel on the other side of that. I wasn't sure if I was still going to want to work, you know the crazy hours that usually comes with you know early stage company building, um, or if I potentially would want to be um, you know a part-time or a full-time you know stay-at-home mom. And it turned out that I still really did want to work. I still really wanted to build, New companies and, and be in the early stage phase. But for me, that if I was going to spend so much time away from my family and my son, that I wanted to do something that was sort of personally more meaningful and that, you know, could have, do some good in the world. And, you know, I, I developed also at the same time a a strong interest in the environment. And yeah, that's kind of what kickstarted my move to step away from the startup studio and all of our businesses and really step back and explore sort of the earliest ideas for Blueland.
0: Amazing. It's incredible getting all of the backstory and thinking about how all of those different experiences that you have and all of those projects that you launch feed into your current venture. I mean, you know, the branding is amazing. The simplicity makes so much sense. As a consumer, I spent a few seconds on the homepage and I immediately got it. Um, and I thought that was great. I also spent some time on your Instagram and your son is adorable. Um, He's so cute. I I always like founder moms, I'm like, how do you leave that cute thing at home and go work? Like I would just be so distracted Um, (laughs) taking more cute photos with the little babies. Um, But yeah, it's incredible because I, I was doing research for this interview and I heard you saying on another podcast about how all the single use plastic that we consume, you know, goes back into the environment to the extent where, on average, over the course of a month, one could consume a credit card's worth full of plastic just through water. Is that true? Yeah,
1: so it is it is crazy. Yeah, it so it is true that all this plastic that we're consuming as a society is now, you know, entering our waterways in our oceans where it's then breaking down to these tiny pieces of plastic called microplastics that are too small to filter out and now it, it is showing back up. In the water that we drink, the food that we eat, and the formula that I was making my son. So that was the big aha moment for me. You know, I had my son and I was researching what kind of water I should use to make his baby formula. And I was even open to, I was like, is bottled water potentially even better than tap? And, Mm. you know, I was horrified to learn even a liter of bottled drinking water contains on average 300 pieces of microplastics. Wow. uh, Which is just. You know, horrific. And yeah, it's in everything. I mean, 90% of the table salt we eat, you know, now has microplastics in it. I think about a third of the fish that we eat. Um, and yeah, as consumers, we're, we're consuming about a credit card's worth of plastic each week, actually. And so it is, it's, it's, it's a lot and it's coming back. And yeah, that's when it hit me that, you know, at first I don't want to just cut back my own plastic consumption, but I realized that. You know, even as a very well intentioned consumer, I just had no choice. That's so many of our most everyday products. You know, you walk into a Target or a CVS, you know, all of these products, whether it's ketchup or shampoo or lotion or Windex, it all comes packaged in single use plastic.
0: So it's incredible because I definitely feel that the zero waste movement is really catching on this idea of reducing, you know, our footprint in the planet, like reducing the waste that we create. Being more thoughtful about what we're consuming, what we're buying, because, you know, we're, we're more aware of where things go after they leave our trash can or our recycling bin. However, I feel like we are still in many ways at the beginning of understanding the impact of like the actions that we take as consumers. And so I am quite curious to hear from you some of the ways that you were able to convince investors that this would be something that could really scale and could really grow. I feel like a lot of people are almost intimidated by the challenge that saving the environment poses. And a lot of people almost feel like, you know, oh what can I do to make a difference? But, you know, as you've explained and as you're showing with your company, actually just like swapping out your cleaning products to not have single-use plastics can make a huge impact. But I can imagine there are some people that maybe weren't convinced or didn't know. So how did you tackle that?
1: Yeah, so it was it was interesting and, and it certainly was an iterative process for me and an evolution of, you know, what the right approach was to take with investors for a business like this. You know, at first, our deck opened telling the environmental story, right? It opened, you know, showcasing how much single-use plastic is, is used and, and discarded each year. And it led with our mission um, to really you know, eliminate single-use plastic packaging. And then we realized that, you know, for a subset of investors, you know, that opening just really didn't resonate and, you know, ended up, you know, midway actually shifting gears and opening up our deck, telling a different story where, interestingly, the thing with our product form factor is that there also is a very strong business and e-commerce story to be told here because we are taking a bottle of, you know, you take a Windex, a, a traditional glass and mirror cleaner, for example, You know, we've shrunk that down to a tablet the size of a nickel. So it's 300 times lighter, yeah, and it's 200 times smaller, which has huge implications on a world that's increasingly driven by e-commerce in the sense that our tablet can be 30 times plus sort of cheaper to ship than sort of a full bottle of, of cleaning solution, which would give us sort of a built-in structural Cost advantage, right, which would enable us to sell our products for cheaper, um, as well as make more margin than the conventional alternative. So there was a really exciting, you know, margin story to tell there and an e comm story to tell. So there was a period of time we then shifted the deck to leading with that story. And we certainly got, you know, a lot more investors. It it, it like clicked. It it Like for most of the investors, when we told that story, it clicked, their eyes lit up, they got it. But it's interesting when, you know, when I then went down that path, I realized that, you know, I wasn't necessarily finding investors then whose values aligned with ours and ones who, you know, really believed and understood our mission and how we wanted to build our company. And so we actually ended up switching that deck sort of format back because ultimately, you know, i think a, a friend phrased it best for me when she said you know you can you can divorce your husband but you can't you know divorce your lead investor
0: and <laughs> it is Love really that.
1: important to find that alignment because it is going to be a long-term partnership and it's going to impact everything from you know how we go ahead and position our business to what products we build and Um, The kind of brand that we want to build and all of that is going to be predicated on having this alignment with our board and our investors on, you know, what, you know, our core our mission and our vision are. And, you know, that definitely was an iterative process. But the good news was that, you know, as much as we did feel like, you know, fewer investors appreciated us leading with the environmental story that, you know, there were still a, a large number of investors for which it did resonate which is exciting. And I think, you know, I've gone, you know, very lucky that the timing of, you know, like co and I building this business has been so good in the sense that there is a lot, there's so much interest. There's more interest than ever, I would argue, um, from consumers designed to cut back on their plastic consumption and be just more environmentally mindful. And I think for the first time, sustainable packaging you know, actually makes for a good business. Um, whereas historically it hasn't, you know, historically it's meant, you know, more cost and lower margins. Um, but now, you know, there is, you know, such a demand from consumers and such a brand benefit, um, that, you know, there can be a a good business reason to pursue it.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Um, I love the way you sort of went full circle on, on the, the the positioning of the importance of the environmental angle and like the longer term benefits in the environment. It is fascinating, because I think you're absolutely right. You know, like your friend said, you know, the relationship you have with the lead investor is so important. It's so important for, for values to align. And I think it's really interesting, you know, being in the startup world, being in the makers community, there are a lot of people that, Throw the word value around, you know, mission around. But in reality, there aren't actually like that many of those companies that are doing something which has a social impact right at the core. Of course, it's helping some people's lives in some way, but not necessarily, you know, directly correlating with a positive impact on the environment or, you know, reducing carbon footprints or, you know, reducing the creation of waste. Et cetera. So I think it it is even more important if there is some sort of social impact or environmental impact related to your core mission that you are with the right people because otherwise at some point it might be that you're almost like undermining your mission because you have investors that don't necessarily align with it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no that that makes complete sense and that that is reason why we kind of you know came around full full circle.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, so I feel like you're quite uniquely placed to speak about the intersection of sustainability and you know direct-to-consumer or you know CPG products because of all these incredible things that you worked on, you know, even prior to Blue Land and your venture studio. And I just am curious, you already touched on it a bit about how sustainability went from something that, you know, wasn't cost effective almost to a point where it's becoming more essential because consumers are demanding this. What are you, what do you see the future evolution of this intersection between sustainability and direct to consumer? Do you think that's just going to get even more important and continue to accelerate to the point where you shouldn't even be entering the DTC space unless you can be fully transparent with, you know, every step of your production line and your suppliers? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that, that certainly is my worldview that this is going to be something that's very hard. For consumers to unsee. And I don't think we're gonna go to a place where the consumer is gonna start lowering his or her standards on businesses. And I think direct to consumer has certainly sort of accelerated the the pressure on companies to be more sustainable as sort of as well as magnified this already existing sort of magnifying glasses on businesses. Because you know, with direct to consumer, you know, consumers have this more you know, closely connected relationship with the companies and yes. have expected more transparency from the companies. And the companies have also, you know, companies like like Everlane and Warby have also, as part of their branding and positioning, really showcased and highlighted, sweet Queens another good one, showcased and highlighted sort of transparency, right, in their supply chain and in their pricing. And, you know, this word better, you know, especially in luxury has become more closely tied to actually knowing and how these products were made and knowing that they were made sort of responsibly and sustainably. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the foundation of all of that is, is already here. And I think it will only, you know, continue to increase, um, which I think is great. I think it's great for the consumer. I think it's, it's obviously great for, the planet. I think other shifts that we're finding are, you know, that the younger consumers especially truly do want to buy brands that are authentic, um, that are, you know, walking the walk and you know align with their values. And I think for the millennials and the Gen Z, the values do matter like a lot to them. And they actually, you know, derive Sometimes value or joy or satisfaction out of whether it's spending more or doing more work to support brands um, that align with their values, uh, which is interesting because uh, you know when we went out to fundraising, some people were like, "No one's going to want to do this." You know, no one's going to want to you know drop in a tablet in their own water and make <laughs> their own solution. Like, no one wants to do more work. But you know, we've done interviews with hundreds of consumers in the space, and it's. And our customers as well, and they actually really derive joy out of dropping the tablet in their bottle. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're doing something out of the ordinary, you know, go taking that extra step to do something good for their family and for the planet. You know, we've heard similar things, you know, from consumers about you know carrying around their own reusable water bottle or their coffee mug. Oh, yeah, really makes them feel good, and they enjoy drinking their coffee out of their reusable coffee mug that much more for it.
0: I think you're so right. There is definitely the sense of individual accountability, which is incredibly rewarding. You know, uh, I go to barbecues now, and people are like scoffing at things which have been like served in like single use plastic, or you know, if you have like plastic forks and knives and like cups, plates. I'm also very conscious of the fact that it is something which is like probably more prevalent in like more like metropolitan like cities. I live in London. I know you're in New York, and you know, this zero waste movement is. Probably like bigger here because we have the privilege of like having those options and those opportunities. But at the same time, exactly as you said, you know, there are ways to make it so accessible. And then that accessibility in itself becomes really empowering, which I think is really great. A friend of mine just recently opened a zero waste shop here in South London. And it's actually incredible to see how many people are creating zero waste stores. There's this product that I discovered recently, it's like an interactive map of london useless London, and it's um it's actually really beautifully designed and it shows off all the different places across the city that support zero waste so you know you can show up with your own containers and fill them up with whatever you need cereal rice you know dried fruits whatever you can show up with your bottles and fill them up with whatever you need from olive oil to balsamic vinegar um, you can buy household products as well like i bought like a reusable sponge and a bamboo pot scraper. And I just kind of thought it's actually quite fun to go on this journey because I feel like I didn't know about any of these things before. I just didn't know that these options were there. And knowing that they are there now to me, so so empowering. And I want to tell everyone about them. And I want to let people know like, hey, there is stuff that we can do. And although it feels small, it's relating to our household. If we all do that, then it suddenly becomes part of this bigger movement. You know what I mean?
1: Totally, totally, and I,
0: I, obviously, so excited to hear that,
1: and it's just so like sort of reconfirming for us that you know we do believe that that consumer exists out there, um, and there are a lot of them, and yeah, and I think you know all of these you know individual actions you know add up and can have huge impact.
0: Amazing. So I want to tap into your brain because you are a serial entrepreneur. You've done so many incredibly exciting things that folks in our community would also love to achieve similar levels of success with. And, you know, in the makers community, producthunt.com slash makers, we have discussions happening every day where makers across the different levels of the entrepreneurial journey from super, super early stage to, you know, maybe second venture back company are trying to tackle those really, really common challenges that occur when you are leading a company. So one of the things that comes up, all the time is around team building. And I wanted to just get your advice on, you know, does this get easier as you move on to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth company that you're leading? And what advice can you give to people who are listening, who are either maybe a hiring manager for the first time in a company, or they're a founder themselves, and they're about to build their team and make their first hires?
1: I'll have to say I don't think it gets easier. I think it just gets different at every stage um, and that's that's part of the tricky part, right I think you know the also the type of talent and what you're hiring for, right when you're when you're just getting started is is going to be so different from the type of person and the roles that you're hiring from when you're a hundred percent company or 200 percent company and then also navigating it so that you know how do you you know, scale culture, as well as keep people motivated. Yeah, um, when sort of the future is unclear, right, in terms of, you know, how the organization is going to evolve, or even how quickly, right, it may evolve. I think we all have a point of view of, as how quickly we want to scale our startups. But, you know, things don't always go according to plan. And sometimes you'll scale a lot faster, and sometimes you'll scale a lot slower. And it's hard to ideally, you're able to predict the future and plan for that accordingly when you're making today's hires, but it's, it's hard. You know, I think, you know, first and foremost, probably my biggest advice is just never lose sight that, you know, hiring is, you know, one of your top, top priorities, right. As as a founder and as, as a senior leadership and, you know, every week, every day, I'm actually reminding myself that like, you know, hiring is important and, you know, whatever hiring or employee development Needs that we have um, to be done, sort of at that moment. I'm always making sure to to prioritize and making sure that that's moving forward. Because obviously, an amazing team is just so foundational to just everything, right? Whether it's yeah or you know building a, a strong business. You know, for us, I think you know it was important with our first hires. Um, you know, we were generally looking for you know more general athlete types that ideally also had prior startup experience. I think, you know, startups are very different for big companies. And I think one of the biggest risks that I've seen sort of from my past startups is is will someone transition sort of effectively from, from big company to small early stage environment? And I think many times, you know, that that transition is doable, but I think, you know, obviously, Having had sort of that prior startup experience, you know, helps de-risk that, you know, somewhat. Another lesson that I've I've learned over the years is that, you know, startup, the startup work environment is tough, right? It's, again, it's extremely high pressure. It's extremely high paced. Um, there is a lot to do. And, you know, you're always going to have, you know, too few people to do them, resources to do them to, uh, you know, to, you're going to be constrained by money as well. But ultimately, like you can't lose sight that, you know, people need to be happy, they need to enjoy their work, they need to be having fun, right? That, you know, this isn't a sprint. And you know, people, you know, you want to make sure that people don't burn out. And I think that can happen in a lot of startups, especially because the people that you attract and that you hire for, they're, you know, type A, highly motivated, yes. hardworking, very scrappy. So even if you're not you know, trying to work them to the ground, right, it may still happen. And so for us, you know, we're really trying to always encourage people to take their patients, encourage people to unplug on the weekends when they can, right? Because certainly there are going to be weekends where everyone is going to have to work. So, you know, when you're able to like take it, and if something is not incredibly, incredibly urgent, right, you know, make sure that, you know, the team and, you know, yourself as a founder is prioritizing, you know finding some semblance of of that balance.
0: Yeah, um thank you so much for for being honest about that. You are so right, you know, as a type A kind of person, it's true that startups attract people that are, you know, highly ambitious, very results oriented, always willing to go the extra mile, and you know, the opposite side of all of those amazing traits is burnout, overworking, not setting healthy boundaries. Overstretching, you know, doing too much, and you're so right that it's important when there is the opportunity to to really unplug and really recharge your batteries. That is actually another conversation we've been having in the product tank community just this week. A maker asked, you know, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? Because I'm at that stage right now, and it's one of those things that I feel is very much an individual thing. You know, only us as individuals can ultimately decide what goes into what I like to think of almost as like a resilience toolkit. You know, what's in my toolkit? What are these things that I I pull out when I really feel close to burnout? And some of those things might be like exercise related. Like I need to make sure I'm going to yoga, going to Pilates. Some of them might be like, make sure I go to bed on time, make sure I'm eating well. Some of them might be more fun things. Like, let me just schedule in time where I'm actually not doing anything and I'm just watching Netflix or whatever. But I feel like there's also only so much that a company can do. Like a company can create the space for you to enjoy your free time, but then you as an individual almost have to then take on that responsibility to actually use that time wisely. And the reason why I said that was because I wanted to kind of segue back into you on a personal level. You know, you are a venture back founder now, but you are also, you know, a wife, a mom, a member of a family. So just on a personal level, what is in your resilience toolkit and what are the things that you make sure you're carving out time for so that you know in between all these incredibly busy demands of being a founder and ceo you're still staying healthy both mentally and physically
1: yeah definitely so that piece is is really important for me and it's been obviously a process for me to also learn like what are the things that i really need um, to make sure that, you know, I feel like I can bring my best also every day to work um, because I feel sort of fulfilled and I have sort of that also space personally. And I think, you know, becoming a mom has become an incredible forcing mechanism for that balance. It's interesting because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how do you balance, you know, being a mom and building this startup, it must be crazy. And I actually even had someone tell me once that like it seems like it's an impossible task to build, you know, both a company and like, you know, create a human being at the same time, a little human being. But it's interesting because I think, you know, having, you know, my son, Noah, that's really, you know, helped me force myself to carve out, you know, really dedicated pieces of time where I can be a hundred percent present with my family and you know that goes just such a long way. So, you know, my team knows that, you know, these days I typically don't come to the office until I don't start my day till like 9:30 or 10 because I am home with my son in the mornings and I do um most days, you know, try to get the, out of the office by when my son sleeps very late, uh by 7:30 so I can grab dinner and, you know, give him a bath and and you know, help put him to bed. And, you know, I think those those morning and evening times are sacred for me. And my team knows that, you know, I generally won't be on email or on Slack, that if they really need something, they should call me. But there is that expectation that, you know, I won't be on during those hours. And, you know, at the same time, you know, that usually means after my son goes to bed, I'll then be back online and I'll tend to pick up work pretty late. But that's also where, you know, it's been important for me to level set Mm -hmm. With the team, like, hey, just because you're getting emails from me, like, a post-midnight, like, there is no expectation, right? That, like, that should not be construed as I'm expecting you to be up on the other end replying to me. Um, And I'm always highlighting for them, like, look, I'm on late because I don't come into the office till quite late in the morning, right? And my ability to sleep well at night, sometimes there's just a set of things I need to, like, I need to go to bed, like, not feeling like I'm going to be a bottleneck in the morning. And that's how I'm going to enjoy my mornings with my son. But I think, you know, a lot of it about, you know, being a well-functioning team is just, you know, making sure to like communicate these things and not just have things, some of these things assumed. But yeah, I do feel so thankful that I, you know, I do feel like I could spend a lot of time with my son each day um, during which I can unplug and be, you know, totally present um, as well as be really proud about, you know, the amount of time and energy I I dedicate um, to Blue Land.
0: That's amazing. It sounds like you've got a really healthy dynamic with with your team and you've been able to basically get the most out of every minute of your day, which is incredible. And I certainly noticed that sort of transformation that comes when, when people become parents or really when any sort of like life affirming or, um, you know, big decision happens in their life where they can suddenly sort of like reset things around priorities. And I guess learn, learning from that is just for, you know, all individuals to like really sort of like take stock about the things that matter and make sure that they are fitting work uh, around those things and just not pushing themselves to the point where, you know, work literally kills them. I know some people where they're just like, you know, almost at the point of like getting hospitalized because they're just so burnt out. And you just have to sometimes remember, like, there is that toxic side within like the startup culture, which we have to be just super wary of and avoid.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, definitely.
0: I heard a really good quote the other day too. Someone was saying like, just put your
1: Mac, make sure to put your oxygen mask on first before you help others, which is right. Cause again, as, you know, especially as like the founder and a leader in, in your business, right? If, if you're not feeling well, right? And you can't think straight, it, it's going to be really hard, you know, to lead that team. And again, you know, a lot of these startup journeys are, they're seven, you know, 10 plus years long sometimes.
0: Yes, exactly. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I love that. I feel like I could probably tap your brain all day for more advice and more tips and more info about the future of, you know, CPG and sustainability, but I've got to let you go. Um, Before I do, it cannot be a product hunt podcast without asking about the products that you love. So this is where I give you the floor and you can tell us about the apps on your home screen, maybe the products that your team rely on whatever keeps you productive or what you love to use at home tell us about them. Yes, definitely.
1: Instapaper that's like everything for me. I Insta paper everything I think it's so easy in this day of like email and slack and social media to come across like incredible articles or content that you want to read. Yeah, but you know, not uh, Instapaper has been great, so it doesn't like derail me every moment I come across something interesting. I get Instapaper, I put it away, and then read at the end of the day or read it when I'm on the subway with with no Wi-Fi. Um, so I love Instapaper. Slack, Slack is everything to our team. Um, <laughs> yeah, has, I don't know. I don't know what companies did before Slack, um, but we primarily communicate on Slack uh, versus email, and it's been a great productivity tool. Um, the other one we use a lot here, very old school, is Pinterest. Oh, you know, nice. a very visual brand, um, that's developing like physical product and physical packaging. Um, Pinterest has just been an amazing discovery as well as collaboration tool for us.
0: Amazing, yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, there's um, a real aesthetic in, in your brand, and I feel that like good aesthetic comes from like seeing a lot of be- beautiful visual things, and like turning them into something in your mind. Wonderful. So Sarah, thanks so much for your time today. For folks that want to follow up and know more about you and know more about your company, where should they go? Yeah.
1: So please check out Blueland on our website at www.blueland.com. And you can also follow us along on Instagram at Blueland. So that's B-L-U-E-L-A-N-D. We're we're always posting um, great uh, content to the feed as well as 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 storing uh, behind the scenes in the office every
0: day. Wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now? Thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.